do it is an absolute pleasure here on fresh take to have the director of mr dress up rob mccullum it's a wonderful wonderful documentary about mr dress up coming to amazon on the 10th oh i'm so excited i mean i got to spend today talking about mr dress up i've spent last several days speaking about mr dress up so i'm delighted to to chat with you and hear your connection and uh, talk about the film october 10th already wow global release on prime here we go that's got to be super excited for you. What what's been the experiences for you? Like I could see just from your background, just the the copious amount of pop culture that you got in that background. Yeah. One of the better setups of anything I've got a chance to do in an interview. So what does it mean for you that you've got into you know? Because this definitely speaks to I think a lot of people. You know, my age, being born in the eighties, growing up with that, and you can see some again the pop culture in the background of eighties, but in the background there is what does it mean to you that you've been able to send this love letter to everybody else that grew up with him. It's just, it means everything. It's the absolute world. I mean, I've spent the last 20 years doing pop culture documentaries. I've done stuff on Nintendo. I've, you know, sold a documentary on He-Man to Netflix. You know, it's just following my passion and, and sharing that passion with people. And you know what it's like, man. When you find somebody that loves the thing that you love, there is like that spark moment, right? We're like, you speak my same language. You get me. And with Mr. Dress Up, it's all of Canada, man. Like everybody speaks dress up coast to coast to coast, you know, and the only people that don't might be like 30 years or younger. And that's, that's a weird thing. Right. And I'm sure we'll maybe talk about that later, but why the timing of this. Actually, I was going to bring it up to you now. Cause that was one of my most interesting questions on here. Cause especially when you look at the puppets, right. And the growth of the puppets, right. And you, and you have, you know, the main core leave there, you have Casey and Finnegan leave. But then you have the crow and granny and all them come and you know i vaguely you know being born in 85 vaguely remember casey and finnegan but you know granny and the crow and everybody else i more identify with from my generation so it's interesting kind of hear what you've heard so far about the different generations of how they've grown on and specifically with the puppets like and i'm sure you've had a few people be like oh i kind of vaguely remember casey finnegan but like granny was like my puppet yeah, it's been really cool to to see who gravitates towards what era of dress up. When we started this, we were a a lean, mean machine of three uh, that we're doing this. We have my co-collaborator, co-conspirator, Jordan Morris, who grew up with dress up in the early 70s. Bow tie, suspenders, you know, overalls, wacky shirt. I grew up in the 80s, very much squarely in the Casey and Finnegan, but never really stopped watching. So I was very much Truffles and Chester the Crow and Annie and Granny as well. And then we had Dave, who was our camera off, and he was all dress up 2.0. He didn't know Casey and Finnegan at all. So even between the three of us, we had kind of three distinct periods of Mr. Dress Up. And bringing that into every interview and the people that we were talking to was just, it was a very cool rounding experience that we weren't just like looking at one slice of this pop culture, which I mean, admittedly, when you do pop culture documentaries, it's so easy to go down that tunnel of here's the mm. thing that I know. So I'm going to put all my attention on this and kind of block out anything else that is feels weird to me. But dress up, we got to cover it all. And it, it's been really surreal connecting to people who are like, oh, I really love Aunt Bird and Miss Biz and. And Hester the Witch and like a lot of people listening that are dress up fans are like, who are these people? I'm like, well, they were puppets with Casey and Finnegan, also performed by Judith Lawrence. 
there's also alligator al <laughs> you know yeah, like alligator al yeah yeah, there's a lot of different characters and trends and ebbs and flows, but the show evolved and changed a little bit and had different flavors with it. And, you know, every good show should. And I, I thought it was so poignant of you in the documentary to point out of Sesame, Sesame Street coming along and if it would, you know, hit into that. And I thought the really important thing, that I can't remember who said it, but hitting like kids don't know, like, yeah, they can see Elmo and Kermit and their mouths moving and then be animated. But at the end of the day, they're just there to be entertained and to learn and to be engaged and there was this world that Mr. Dresser brought you into and Sesame Street did that, you know, you were children, you were engaged no matter what the puppet was doing and how animated or animated they weren't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Ernie says, you know, you know, Finnegan's mouth moved, Casey's didn't, but it didn't matter yeah. much to the kids. And I think that's a testament to Judith Lawrence, yeah. right? Her ability mm -hmm. to perform those characters and still give them a, a very convincing connection to everybody that's watching at home. You know, it's it's pretty remarkable that you can take a, a like Plaster Paris kind of like puppet, a wooden puppet, if you would, of Casey that has zero facial expression changing whatsoever. But yet you feel when that puppet is sad, when that puppet is frustrated, when that puppet is angry because there's so much body language, the intonation of the voice. It's a kudos to, to Judith that she's able to take that punch and Judy style approach, compete with the Muppets. Mm -hmm. That's no easy task to do. And. You know, you talked about the generation thing. I know you don't cover this as much in the documentary, but what do you think about the, the current gen of, you know, children's uh, television now? You know, I'm not a father myself, but I'm an uncle. So I've had to go and watch the Coco Melons and all that kind of stuff. And there doesn't really seem to be that space anymore. I guess the closest for entertaining and kind of teaching kids would be a Bluey. Uh, but there definitely is a hole that like a Mr. Dress Up or Mr. Rogers isn't there anymore. Yeah, I mean, that format seemed to go away in the mid to late 90s, right? That yeah. adult, usually male hosts, talking direct to camera with some puppet friends. And that's when animation really started to come in, where we mm -hmm. really started to see the the breakthrough uh, computer computerized tools. I mean, you even see it like in print, right? In video games, we're going to polygons now. Even box art on video games goes from illustrative oil paintings to logos you know we used to have like this awesome artwork for atari and nes games and now we're just getting a quake logo or a doom logo like doom the, the there's a real a yeah we're just we're getting bare minimum stuff and it works to a different degree but i think kids need grounding in reality and i think that's why dress up works and i and i will point into contrast that you know there are real shows out there but they don't ground it in reality look at something like blippy right now here's blippy where he's an over-the-top guy in bright clothes, that's not real. Nobody acts like that for real. He's got a voice. It's a fake put on. It, it's almost insulting to the kids when you think about it. Now, the, the one redeeming feature I do appreciate about a show like Blippi is it's shot predominantly with one take. And there's very little that's, that's sped up. So kids get to spend actual time with that, that character which I think is valuable. And that's what dress up did as well. We got to spend time with dress up. We got to see every single scissor cut, every single drawing stroke on the pad. We got to see him put on every piece of his costume. And that, that time spent is very important because nobody is teaching kids today process and nobody's teaching them patience and, and the power of silence and just doing it. Like you'd never be able to pitch a show that champions boredom. Cause that's what that is to kids today. If there's not something flashing in their face to say, I'm bored. It's like, mm -hmm. no, you don't need these distractions all the time. Learn to sit and be with yourself. Because when you do that, that's when this turns on. And then you'll never be bored if you know how to make this work. And that's what Dress Up taught us. 
That it's so precise there because I was watching actually just the live action thing with uh, my nephew this week, who's about four or five, and it took about five minutes, but they were bored because again they're just so engaged now with the animation side of things that that art isn't really there for them to learn. They need to be have that cocoa melon that's nonstop in your mind over and over again to teach them lessons instead of having what you had there and that. They kind of changed the subject too. That CBC kids slot too. I thought you guys did a really good job of connecting that. And how many people have told you, and I'm sure that you've been asked this question a million times, but the Mr. Rogers coming up and starting in Canada, I had no idea. And I don't think a lot of people had any idea of the connection that Mr. Rogers had that initially led to Mr. Dress. Because I mean, for a lot of kids growing up in Canada, it was like, oh, it's big friendly giant, Mr. Rogers and that, but didn't know that he like got his whole start out here. Yeah, and it's a it's a pretty important detail. It was something that I was aware of, but not to the depth that we obviously get to explore in the film. And remember, there was a Mr. Rogers documentary that came out, you know, in 2018 by Morgan yeah. Neville, I'm pretty sure. And they started in like 1967. So they completely gloss over anything before 67. Exactly. Yeah. For the most part, they don't talk about his years in Toronto where he created his show essentially and yep. developed his technique and was on camera for the first time or the people that he collaborated with and like one of his best friends which seems like a glaring omission when you're trying to make a film about mr rogers that critiques whether his approach to children's education was impactful or not and remember that's that's the core thesis of that film did his approach to children work it's not a biopic it's not a chronology it's an examination of does that method work but how can you do that if you don't know the person and who he surrounds himself with and how he developed that technique in the first place? So believe me, I'm happy they didn't do that so that we could do it justice and, and put Canada firm in the spotlight of saying without us, there would be no Mr. Rogers to that degree because he was ready. He had graduated seminary school and three days later is when he got the call to come up from Frederick Rainsbury to develop a show. So he was going to be off doing something else. And he was a well-off American. He didn't need to do anything. His family was quite wealthy and independent. This was something he chose to do, and Toronto and Canada offered him that opportunity. Nowhere else. And I thought the one thing you did really good as a filmmaker, you know, people will talk about that at the start of the film, like, oh, that's really interesting. You left that narrative throughout the film, to all the point where even when he retired and still the bond of that relationship and how much Fred Rogers still connected to him throughout the career. This wasn't just a guy helping him out, giving him a start. It was a friendship that butted all the way to the end of their lives. And I thought you did a really poignant job of talking about that throughout the film. For me, we wanted to ground it in Ernie's relationships. Like you'll see on the surface, it's very much, you know, what happens in front of the camera, like on the yeah. show and what what's happening behind the scenes with Ernie as a person. But within that, I wanted to ground Ernie's trajectory in his relationships with people, first with Fred Rogers and then his wife and with Judith, because these are the most important relationships in his life. And in two, maybe a bit of a lesser extent, Jim Parker, who is his traveling tour mate and his best friend, as, as well as a result. But those are the key relationships. And who are we if we're not defined by the company we keep? Those are the people that are always with us through good times and bad times. And that's what anchors the entire structure of the film. So we had to come back to Fred Rogers. We had to keep revisiting that because that's the reality of that friendship. They never stopped being in touch. And that letter that you mentioned, we don't shine a big spotlight on it, but the reality is Ernie wrote that letter to Fred Rogers two months to the day before his death wow. from his cottage in Maine and sent it to Fred. And even still at the age of like 71, 
He was telling Fred how much he meant to him, how much their friendship impacted them, and how thankful he was. What was the uh, the thesis? What was the nugget, the kernel that made you be like, you know, you've talked about all the past work that you've done. What made you want to come and tell the story? Because obviously everyone loves Mr. Dressup, and I think it was not told any better than the story his son told on 9-11 times trying to get to his father and how much he meant and that uh, airline attendant helping him get home because of how much Mr. Dressup meant. But what was it for you that like, yeah, this is a story that we need to tell because Canadians want to hear it. It's the ultimate underdog story for me. When you look at the ingredients on the page of this show, it should not have worked for a million different reasons. Okay. It's shot live to tape. There's no stopping. Once an episode starts, they continue filming all the way through like a play. They have no budget. They have people that aren't Canadian leading this Canadian driven show. They are constantly fighting for time and every possible resource. And yet, despite everything that happens externally and personally, they manage to persevere and find a way. It's that spirit of resolve, right? They, they will not be pushed away. They will not be stopped. They will not be shut down. And I think more than ever, we need that kind of underdog spirit, that independent spirit to help champion where, where we are today. It's so easy to feel defeated anytime you look at any kind of news source. The world is a heavy place, especially mm -hmm. for kids. So something like Mr. Dressup and that underdog, you know, resilience and resourcefulness spirit that the show preaches, I think is needed now more than ever. And that's that's what I want to get out there. That's that, that feeling of hope. There's hope out there. Just keep at it. See what see what you got around yourself. See who's in your corner and, and you'll get through. And, and that show had a big impact of it. And I think you got it from what a, you know, set of star studded uh people you had to have come and talk to. You had Michael J. Fox, you had kids in the hall, you had Andrew Fung. Uh, where did that come from of reaching out to impactful Canadians and their thoughts on, on Mr. Dressel? Well, honestly, they just kept hounding and hounding us. It's like Michael J. Fox <laughs> kept calling me in the middle of the night. Like, Hey, I really want to be in your film. I'm like, Michael, I'm trying to get some sleep. Just, okay. I get it. You were on family ties. You're in back to the future. Yeah. I know who you are. Same with bare naked ladies. They were writing songs for me. Just like slow down guys. I get it. You're talented. Um, that never happened. None of that happened. We're gonna we hired a casting it. agent. I mean, we, we hired a casting agent. We had some connections to these people, of course, but we hired a casting agent. We did it all by the book. And I'll tell you, we went to a ton of Canadians and nobody said no. Like not a single what. person said, said no. I mean, if they don't appear in the film, it's because there was a scheduling issue. And that is what it is. There's no hard feelings about any of that. But nobody ever said no. So we made it work. Every anytime somebody said yes, we found a way to make to make that work within you know what we were capable of producing, and it was just cool to sit down and talk about Mister Dressup. Yes, Michael J. Fox starred in the Back to the Future trilogy, and he's been in some awesome TV shows. And talking about Dressup, it's it like that stuff doesn't even matter, right? Mm -hmm. It's just you're again you're speaking the same language, and Dressup is that language that connects us. Yeah, I, I think, and I know you're short on time, so I'll ask this final question. I, I think. The one thing you really hit, and again, it kind of goes back to that airport scene, which really stuck out to me of how important it was. But when you mentioned Canadians, and obviously as Canadians, we're so proud of anyone that's a celebrity from us, right? Like we'll always be like, oh, that's Canadian, that's Canadian. And him not technically being an initial Canadian and getting his Canadian citizenship and how important that was. But, you know, even just getting ready to do this interview, and I mentioned I'm doing, talking to uh, the director of the Mr. Dressup documentary and the light up in voices and faces that I get I think he is as popular as a Canadian as Wayne Gretzky or Bret Hart or David Suzuki. 
Here's a story for you. There was a some sort of CBC signing thing that had a bunch of influential Canadians. Wayne Gretzky was there. Yeah. Gordie Howe was there. It was a bunch of other people. And guess who had the longest lineup? Even in even with Wayne Gretzky in attendance, Mr. Dressup's lineup, young and old, Wild. stretched Wild. for blocks. If that doesn't tell you something, and if that doesn't tell you about who people want to surround themselves by, I, I don't know what will. I, I really don't. He's he's our he's proud to be a Canadian. He chose to be a Canadian. He's kind of like our best secret. Canadians aren't necessarily great at celebrating themselves. You know, Americans are really good at celebrating everything. And I'm a dual citizen now as well, Canadian born, American later, choose to call Canada home. So much like Ernie Coombs to a degree. But Canadians are not good at celebrating themselves. But you know what? Canadians know when they have something cool as well. And they hang on to it for themselves. They don't kind of want to share it because they know how special it is. And I think they don't want necessarily anything on the outside to tarnish it. But I think it's time to allow this this thing known as Mr. Dress Up, this show and these people to get out into the world and having it happen on October 10th on Prime globally. It's going to hit a lot of people near and far. And I think a lot of people in other countries are going to say, hey, I had a kid's show like that too. We had our own Mr. Dress Up. And man, I, I remember those times. And how come our world isn't like that anymore? And if we can make those kind of comments and, and questions appear in people's head and start that discussion, then Dress Up is still working today. Rob, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. I know you've got a busy day, uh, an absolutely lovely documentary and, and a love letter to Mr. Dress Up. And everyone will, I'm sure, enjoy it as much as I did and as much as I enjoyed talking to you. You can, again, find it on Amazon globally on October 10th. Rob, thanks so much for your time. Cheers and enjoy the day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Fresh Take Network. Follow us on social media platforms at Fresh Take 42.